0: For those of you who missed, we're going to put it up on the social medias and websites and stuff this week. But David is uh, going to join our staff as our lead minister starting January first. So until then, you don't have to treat him well. January first, you have to on a, a descending level of how you know you, you confident you feel in your heavenly destination. There's a graph that we'll release with all this stuff too. Um, and that's the thing that you got to figure out. And that's why I'm like, I don't care to ask somebody to do anything right here. What'd you say, Susan? If it was that funny, you have to share. You He does still have time to back out. That could be, but why would we, like, we don't, it is what it is. Like, you know, it's next person up in this place, right? You don't think it's loud enough? That's, hey, I'm going to get there. We'll be fine, Rob. I'll, I'll get here, but don't, it's, it's jacked up as far as it's going to go. So we're working on this. I just didn't want to go out during, you know, Black Friday because Jesus would have been sad for all the people who weren't working on Friday. That whole thing, it's just, I don't know. People are like, don't go, you know, don't go shopping on Black Friday. I'm like, I know a bunch of people who want to work that because they get time and a half. Like, still even for Black Friday. Like, you know, I was like, feel bad for it. But, you know, I don't know. This is what happens when I start off without notes. So anyway, I better turn those on. Anyways, that's where we're at. Things are good. Um, thanks, Evan, for stepping up and leading here or worshiping stuff as Dylan and Kathy are traveling with family, too. Glad you all made it back for this. Uh, I'm glad you made it back because we're wrapping up a book today. I'm going to move some things out of the way as I'm talking. Uh, because we uh, I went back and actually looked and counted. And since we started the church, we have made it through 28 books of the Bible in 11 years. Like, which, in some ways, you're like, wow, that's a lot. In other ways, you're like, man, what did Steve speak about all that time? Um, I'm going to say that my average dropped a little when we did Psalms for an entire year. I'm still bitter about that, but I know it's good. So, yeah, getting through 28 books, and I can remember the past 11 years. We got all the deals. You know, your inbox was inundated with all the deals this past week, and I got all these photo deals where I'm like, oh, I might as well buy the photos now that it is. So I went through, like, all of our photos since Kalen's been born last night, and I'm having this whole memory thing. You're like, in some ways, it's not a long time. In some ways, it is. But time flies. And here's the thing. It's always easier to start something than to finish it. But at least we made it through this, right? We made it through the book of Ephesians. I hope you're glad. I hope you figured out a little bit so that the next time you're reading through your Bible, because that's what your good Christian... Um, movement, like, will yield you to do. Like, this isn't just you rip out Ephesians out of your Bible and never read it again. I'm hoping you go back and read it. And I'm hoping you remember some of the key aspects of Ephesians that we've talked about. That, you know, yeah, it was this small port town Uh, in modern-day Turkey that, you know, now is just a bunch of ruins. But at the point uh, when Paul was writing to this church in Ephesus, it was one of the most influential cities in the world, and that's one of the reasons he wanted a church there. And the one thing about that church that we've continued to talk about, and it's the reason why we said this series is called Mosaic, is because it was a diverse church, diverse um, national and uh, nationality, it was diverse socioeconomically. economically. It was a bunch of different small pieces woven together to form a beautiful community. And uh, as such, Paul was trying to tell them what does it look like for you all to become one? So we've had this theme of unity that we've been talking about, as David mentioned, even through communion, through our studies of Ephesians. And the culmination of that is here this morning as we get to uh, the end of Ephesians. So we're in Ephesians chapter 6, and verse 10 is where we're going to start. And Kim, are you reading for me today? Thanks for being bold. Jesus is happy about that. Thanks for finding your strength in him. Teaser which is verse 10 anyway. So go ahead and if you will, read verse 10 for us. Green light is go, orange light is safe, and, and all that stuff. You, you're killing it. It's great.
1: Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power.
0: Okay, so as we look at Paul closing this thing out to you, to I, to the Ephesians, he is telling us that our attitude should be an attitude of strength. That's downright empowering, isn't it? Doesn't it make you feel empowered to understand that Paul, speaking on behalf of the Lord, wants you to be strong? And it was for some reason as I was thinking about this this week, I couldn't get far away from those little yellow bracelets that maybe many of us used to wear. How many of you had a live strong bracelet that you sported? Like, there's some, like, a, a little bit like, okay, that was me. What's funny is. One of the reasons we liked it is, number one, it was a yellow bracelet so everybody could see you wearing it. It was yellow because it was the foundation of Lance Armstrong. And, you you know, if you've never noticed the play on words there, that his foundation to fight cancer was strong, His last name was Armstrong. So, you know, it was pretty—that uh, uh, worked out pretty well. Except that even though his foundation did much, much great things for cancer— They began to struggle when it came out that Lance was looking more than just regular uh, testicular fortitude for his strength. That was a joke there that I can say when not all many people are visiting today. Um, And it found out that the dude was using performance enhancing drugs in order for him to live even stronger. And then what's interesting is the foundation still exists today, but I'm sure not many of you have worn your yellow bracelets. But you did. And it was inspirational because it's a, a, a key aspect for you and I. We understand that strength is something that helps get us through, right? Especially for the cancer patient. Even though there's, you know, we, we don't necessarily have full cures to all cancers here. And we're developing more and more. One thing that study has shown is that strength allows the fight. Men, mental fortitude allows that fight to go longer and longer. And this is what we see psychologically too there's a thing called attitude strength attitude strength is how a person with a high attitude of strength is able to function in the world and there are four different things that somebody with attitude strength usually um projects the first thing is a resistance to change And again, when we're talking about attitude strength, sometimes this is good because you're like, yes, it helps them to focus and get through. Sometimes people are just downright stubborn, and these are characteristics we see here, because especially with the second one, that they are able to persist over time. So again, perseverance can be a good trait unless you're starting off at the wrong origin, and then your persistence can actually be a detriment in your life. That our mental strength, our attitude strength, guides how we process information. And that is something that is true. This is your, 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 your metaphorical half-glass-full, half-glass-empty moment, right? How many of my people here today are my half-full-glass folk? And how many of you are like, that flipping thing is half-empty and it's getting emptier all the time? Some of us are that way. Yeah, it 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 just depends on what liquid is in there, probably too, and, and and that it's always happened. Science might not be able to help us figure this out. However. The one thing is that it guides the way that we process information and see things, whether we see it within our paradigmatic view or if it's just uh, if, if it's good, if it's bad. And then finally, that an a, a, a attitude of strength will motivate and direct all of our behavior. So these are the things, again, if we're looking through this, if I'm told... Or if I'm telling you today that you need to be strong, I'm like, yes, this is what strength is. This is the attitude that I need to adopt so that I can go and meet this world in strength. But notice how Paul says strength in attitude ought to truly work. He says you need to be strong in attitude. However, it is not an internal strength but it is a strength of the Lord and of his power. It's a paradox of the kingdom of God. We are told to go out and be strong and make a difference and do great things for the kingdom, which then takes levels of fortitude for us to live strong. But as we get out there, we are to understand that that strength is not something that we summon internally. It is not your American Protestant work ethic. It is actually God moving in you to truly be strong if you're looking in the mirror to solve all of your issues you're going to be very displeased with reflection elsewhere paul speaks about this in second corinthians chapter 12 verse 10 paul tells the church in corinth that's why for Jesus' sake i delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties this is attitude strength right This is Paul summoning this. And you're like, yes, he has the power of positive thinking to be able to make a breakthrough. However, he says, when I'm weak is when I'm strong. That's paradoxical, right? We don't think about those low moments as those times when we're exuding strength. But if you are doing it the way in which we are called to as Christians, that's what you'll find out. In your weakness, when you summon on God... And not not summon him in a in a in a way to make yourself better. But when you just have exhausted yourself and say, I do not have the ability to see this through. I'm going to rely on God to deliver me from that, friends. That is when we have true strength. You need to think weakness to be strong. Now I think what you and I have in those situations though are there things where we're like Yeah, but, right? We're already trying to put an asterisk on this verse. Because we think that it will help us understand the world better. Like the problem that we have when I am weak and I am strong are those moments when I look at the words of Jesus, right? Remember Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount? He's saying all these great things, you know? It's just like shotgun, buckshot, everything That was profound that Jesus said happened on that hill. And one of the things that he told us to do, that if anybody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And that is where we're like, yeah, but. Because we're like, that is not cool, right? Because when somebody's coming at me, it's my job, my right as an American to stand firm, Right? To be, to, to be firmly situated in this point is like, you can slap the other cheek, but I'm coming back. Maybe I'll turn it, and I'm going to turn it with a two-by-four and go hacksaw Jim Duggan on your face because that is what I'm called to do. Wrestling reference, anyone? Amen? Okay, good. But here's the issue about this, is that inst- we get bogged down in the specifics where we're meandering way through. It's like, okay, well, that means if somebody... This takes something from me and stuff. I'm supposed to have this posture and I I can't just do that because people will roll over me. I'm going to offer to you that this is actually a lead-in to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12 and to what he is telling the church in Ephesus to do as well. What we are supposed to do as followers of Jesus is to make sure that we are not relying on our own strength, but that we are trusting God's strength to get us through. So if we are metaphorically taking that posture of turning the other cheek, what we are saying is that you might come at me and you might get me today, but ultimately I'm going to find my strength in God and his righteousness will prevail and at some point justice will be enacted. The problem that we have within this is that it is a releasing of our control, true? And as much as you value everything in your life, and as much during this season, you're going to start to value, you know, what you can get or what you can give in a consumeristic mindset. The one, the one thing that comes true to this is that the more I just let go, the more I see I actually have control. It's paradoxical, but it's the way of the kingdom. For you and I to truly feel released, you know what we have to do? Is find our strength not in things of this world, but to find our strength in God. Now... Kim, if you will go ahead and continue reading. This is a longer text. There's a lot of good stuff in here. Verses 11 to 17. Uh, Christians have probably read this text before, or at least heard about it. Um, let's read through it, see if we can break it down, please.
1: Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one.
0: We read verse 17? Yes, please. Take the
1: helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God.
0: So our attitude must be one of strength in the Lord. Our response is to armor up. To put on armor. Now this isn't something that we do with regularity. Right? There's a reason why. It's because armor is not designed for everyday use. True? Because if I armor up and I try to do my work on my computer. I am not going to be very successful. Because the fingers are just too big. They're just too big. Also if I try to go to the Starbucks in armor. It is difficult to open up the app. With armor, because there's not necessarily a slide button in the armor. If you try to do yoga in the armor, and I'm just proud of myself for all this, that I was able to find these pictures online, which is why they were included, because there is a visual to this. So yoga in armor is not good, and there is a reason, because armor has a specific purpose, correct? The purpose of armor is to protect yourself against attacks. You put on armor because you are getting ready for combat. And that is something that we need to understand here, is that in this popular text then, armor becomes a full object lesson. And I don't know how well you can say this, because I'm half certain that this is like some sort of Mormon image, because they come up with like the best Bible art stuff. But here's this dude who is in the armor of God. I don't know if you can see like he's got a tie on, and like these are slacks. It's just like, you know... Because apparently he works in the office and then gets just on full comeback. But anyways, what we see within the text here is we're armoring up. Notice that the armor becomes this large object lesson. That, that Paul has taken something that they in the first century would have been very familiar with. Romans had occupation of the entire world. They would see Roman soldiers without ties going into... to to combat, and what Paul is trying to say is like, look, instead of thinking of this armor as specific pieces that you're going to put on literally, let's look at this from a spiritual perspective, and that's where we get the belt of truth that is worn out here, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. And it's interesting, by the way, because there's so much you can go into these pieces, and I just didn't want to go into there today, but one thing that was interesting in the Roman world that isn't reflected here because we have this anime, anime picture of somebody with armor but the shields during this day were rudimentary and going into battle you would take a probably a a piece of wood or, or, or because metal wasn't as readily available and you would coat it in a leather and before going into battle you would dip the leather shield into water because as the enemies would fling flaming arrows at you it would hit the leather which would you know cause it to to stick and then the the moisture would diffuse, would, would extinguish the water. So there's just these different aspects about combat that can come into play. I'm assuming that unless you're hardcore LARPers, you really don't care about the car- combat aspect of this, helmet of salvation. But here's where we get back to this again. Know that all these different things, righteousness, salvation, faith, truth, peace, these are godly attributes. And as we armor up, we are then to, to not view this combat as something that You know, we are doing that is just about individual strength, but it is putting God upon us. It's immersing ourselves, covering ourselves within his armor so that our reliance is fully on God. Another thing about this, because every time I have seen this displayed, it's always an individual, usually a man, because I don't know, it's just like maybe they can't draw anime, anime women in armor or something. I don't know how that goes out or maybe it's like it's not a chivalrous. I, I don't know. You know, there's like, there's like women stormtroopers now. Like, you know, we've, we've reached an age and era, y'all. But here's the interesting thing. We always view it as an individual and not as the collective. Who is the audience of Ephesians? Is it an individual person? No. It's an entire church. And that's what we're told to do collectively is that you don't go in to battle alone. Right? You are not a superhero you're a part of an army you're part of a team that's that's who what we do so when you are going in to battle it's not you alone and that's something we mistake all the time friends when struggles come into our lives we want to do it all by ourselves and that's not what it's called to be a follower of Jesus we are in this together your burden is my burden, and we bear this together. We, together as a church, are supposed to armor up so we can face the foe. So who's our foe? foe is the devil, right? And this is what's interesting, is that if you've been a part of Echo for the longest time, I don't talk much about Satan and the devil. And one of the reasons why is because we preach through the Bible, and there's really not a lot in the Bible about Satan and the devil, and one of the reasons that I like to leave that void happening is because so many of us take this text as the standard of what we are facing in the world. They look at like a text like Ephesians 6, or they look at Jesus' temptation by Satan in Matthew chapter 4, and they, uh, and they hold these up. as like, no, this is what it's about every day. The devil is out there behind a rock. He is going to come at me, and I need myself some Jesus to get past this, Right? One of the reasons we don't talk about the devil much is because he, he's become much more of a caricature than any of us could ever imagine. There's all these different representations of the devil, whether it's from the last temptation of Christ or, or or when Pacino did the devil in his movie with Keanu Reeves, or even when she wears Prada. However, you see that acting out. The devil has become this caricature, and this is one of the key things that we need to look at within this, okay, is... Who is the devil? We, we read the most about him in prophecy from Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15, that the devil was an angel that had fallen from heaven. And the reason for his fall was because he said, look, even though I'm a created being, I feel as if I should be on the throne of God. And therefore, he tried to lead a rebellion, and God threw him down from heaven because of his rebellious ways. So this is what's interesting, is that we isolate this and see, oh, see, the devil is the adversary of God. You know, there's always got to be, in in movie, and story, and something, there has to be the opposite. There has to be a villain, and the devil is the villain in this Megan narrative. But this is what's really interesting about this, people. A few things. Number one, the devil is not God's equal. It's not the yin-yang. It's not that... You know, you have God, you have the devil, and they're equal. No, the devil is a created being, number one. Number two, the devil has been proved powerless. And that is the theology that we see within the scripture. So if you are living your life every day in fear of the devil, you're doing it wrong. Because number three, this is what's interesting. Who was the devil? The devil was a created being that tried to usurp the throne of God. Do you know who does that more so than any creature in the Bible? You and I. What we do every day, friends. In our decisions, when we sin against the creator of the universe, we are just like Satan. We're trying to yank God off the throne and to try it on for our size because we think we would look really good sitting there. And what we see within this, the lesson that needs to be learned with this, is that if you're living life in fear of the devil, you're doing it wrong. Now you're saying, "Wait, but Paul is writing about this right here, right?" And he's saying you have to watch yourself, watch everything that's going out. But notice this aspect within the verse, and I believe it's verse twelve. Is um, and I have to look back to find it. It's this: is that our struggle, friends, is not against flesh and blood. What is flesh and blood? People, right? We like the devil as an enemy because we like a foe. Maybe in your life you have a foe, right? Who who is that person right now? You're like, no, no, no. I know this person's the devil. I know they're evil. You're thinking of it right now, and if you're thinking about me, we'll have the conversation later. But whomever that is in your life, you want to paint them as the the bad person. According to my Facebook, it's got to be Donald Trump right now because he is the devil. But this is what's interesting. Even that is a microcosm, which should play out to your world. Our struggle is not against people. That is not our enemy. And what Paul sets up the landscape to say is that this is a spiritual fight. We got to finally see Doctor Strange in the theater this last week. We, that was our holiday movie. Anybody get to see that one yet? What's interesting is it's a Marvel movie. And you know all these grandiose superhero movies where they're trying to stop people from annihilating the globe and all this stuff. It's interesting because Doctor Strange is really like this metaphorical battle that is happening on the back end of reality. So it's like there's this huge war in combat and nobody on the earth is any the wiser it's interesting because i was thinking about that this week as i was looking at this text and that's exactly what we have here is what paul says is look your obsession with the things of this world is is confusing your view of strength because you think about strength as an individual, you think about what can I sum up to be truly strong, and then you're looking at the adversary wrong. That your adversary aren't individuals, but it is a spiritual conflict and battle. And I'm sorry, folks, but we've gotta break this down. And you need to understand that is oftentimes that spiritual battle is waging within your very mind. True. Really, if there is an enemy in the narrative of my life, it's Steve, and he's the worst because he is the one who I'm always wrestling with. Because, uh, like all of us, we want to find strength in ourselves. We want to yank God off the throne. Here, friends, this is the thing that you and I need to come to. This is all about spiritual battle, and as we armor up. It's not about making sure that our weapons are perfect. There's not this, this physical conflict. It's, it's not about flesh and blood. It's about spiritual things. Okay, so this is what I want to do here. Kim, if you will, this is going to be our last verses of Ephesians chapter, of, of the book of Ephesians. Let's read verses 18 through 20, please.
1: And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should.
0: See, this is the secret, true really even though we're supposed to summon that strength in the lord that we're supposed to put on our armor we understand our adversary but the reality is is that our secret weapon our weapon oh mass destruction is prayer it's prayer and i think that's how paul gets off his testosterone trip to land this right Because I think what we see in this narrative arc is that some of us are like, okay, let's get ready for the fight. There's a lot of worship songs that that have been created over the years that that use that metaphor. It's like, you need to get ready for the fight, the battle, onward, Christian soldiers. There's all this. What's interesting is that Paul doesn't leave it hanging there within this combat. What he lands it to is, you know what? You know what really you can do to win the battle? You need to pray, to pray. Another thing I don't talk about a lot is prayer. And one of the reasons I don't believe that I feel qualified to talk about it is I never feel like I'm really good at it. Now, this is interesting, y'all, because I've been in the church basically all four decades of my life. I've actually studied in depth concepts of prayer, the biblical, the theology of prayer, and how it works. And yet, despite all my exposure, Of all the things I feel least qualified to do, I think it's to speak on prayer. And yet it's something that I do every day. And I think the reason I feel this is maybe the same thing that you have is because you're like, I always know of people who are better at prayer than I am. Like I've met those people. One of them is my mother. I know right now that if I really have something in my life, I will still call my mom not because I, I just need that therapeutic call my mom, but I really know that she's a better, better prayer than I am. She wakes up at five o'clock every morning and the first half hour of what she does, is she prays still as a 70-year-old lady, right? And she's just way better at it than me and therefore I feel unqualified to do it. One of the reasons that I feel unqualified by prayer, and it's the same thing, even though we can spell out a theology, it's so uh, it's difficult for us to understand what prayer really is, right? And it should not make us feel bad because then for generations, for centuries, people have been trying to come to grips with what it is. One of my favorite explanations is from a guy who lived almost a thousand years ago, Thomas Aquinas, who in the 13th century wrote the following about prayer. Let's see if I can get it here. Up, oh, I'm going to miss it. Let me try one more time. Prayer is not necessary in order that God may know our needs and desires, right? Because isn't that how some of us feel about prayer, by the way? It's like, I better say this, and if I don't articulate it well, then God's not going to fully understand my prayer. So I need to pray about, you know, something very specifically. And uh, then I need to end it with Lord willing, because of the book of James, in case God has a different opinion than you and I, so that I've covered and he's not pissed at me, Right. But what we need to understand is what Aquinas says, is that it's not that God may know our desires, but that we may remember that in all things we must have recourse to the divine help. What prayer does, friends, is it right sizes the relationship between us and God. So instead of me wanting to yank God off the throne when I'm in prayer, I understand is that he is greater, I am less. And in that relationship, the world is where it needs to be. At least most importantly, my world is where I need to be. That's why prayer is so important. So if you suck at prayer this week, I just want to make a challenge. Why don't you every day, maybe you can put a little reminder in your phone because they can do these things now. I did... Even though I'm very technological, I had to have my wife help me figure out how to do that. But it does happen. Like, you can set a daily reminder in your phone. And maybe you need to stop and pray. And you're like, wait, how long do I have to pray? No rules, y'all. No rules. Because it doesn't matter how long you pray. And honestly, even though we tend to be more selfish in our prayers at times because we're more concerned about our world, right? Who's ever given the obligatory, God, just uh, let it not rain today because I want to have a good afternoon out there. And there's somebody else who's desperately on the other end of the line praying for rain and God's got to decide which of you is better, right? Like, don't, don't worry about whether what you are praying is right. Just pray to right-size the relationship. So that you can remember that God is enthroned, you are not, and that you need Him. And then a- again, uh, even as somebody like myself who struggles with that, the one thing I've, that I've noticed that always gets me out of it is I just need to do it. I just need to do it. Friends, it doesn't have to be at 5 o'clock in the morning, it doesn't have to be in a quiet room. Your eyes don't even have to be closed. So my best prayers are while driving, and I stopped closing my eyes after a few incidents. But you, too, just need to get a little time to stop and pray. Maybe you should, maybe you should do that. As we've been praying, uh, expressing our thanksgiving this week, maybe that's a good change for you. So this is interesting. So in this whole mosaic look of what, God, of what Paul is trying to say, church, this is how you, a diverse group, become one. It's very interesting that he ends all of this in prayer. You have to ask yourself, why? You know, is that because prayer is the most important thing? I'm going to offer It's not because of that, but it's because Paul knew, knew that the church in Ephesus would need it. And this is not something I've mentioned through the whole series, but I think this is very important. Because as much as we see a little bit about the city of Ephesus and what happened among the early believers there in the book of Acts, there's one other time in the New Testament that the church in Ephesus is brought up. And it's actually brought up in the book of Revelation. No S in the end one revelation. No. That's for free. So I don't know if you've looked in the book of Revelation, but in those early chapters where it gets really freaky where dragons just appear and you're like, what is this about? And by the way, at some point we'll go through that. It's apocalyptic literature and the point in that literature is it's supposed to be this grandiose story that is supposed to have an underlying meaning. So to ruin the end of Revelation for you, the whole point of Revelation, dragons and all, right? Pregnant ladies with babies swallowed. All this stuff is this, is that God wins in the end. So worship him throughout. Like that's, that, you see, I don't even have to preach the revelation now. I've let David off the hook on this. Like we're good. But here's the thing. At the very beginning of the book, the apostle John, who's exiled on an island, is giving out these letters to seven churches within the region. And there's only really one church that ends up with a totally good report. That's the church of Philadelphia, hence the name of the city, y'all. So you're like, oh, mind blown. Yeah, it's biblical. But then for the other six churches, he just has to kind of, some of them he has to just go medieval and open up a can. Other ones he's just like, hey, look, you you did some good things, but it's working out here. He talks to the church of Ephesus. Now, what's interesting is that most dating of the book of Ephesians, was probably written right about 62 AD because Paul was imprisoned in Rome when he wrote it. And it depends how liberal your theology is on the dating revelation. But more who are in line, I'd say, with where we are uh, biblically have that happening before the fall of Jerusalem, before 70 AD. So we're just looking at years, just a few years after when Paul wrote this letter, we believe he wrote uh, that john wrote revelation and included a bit about the ephesians and here's what he writes in chapter two verses one through five to the angel in the church of ephesus i write and i did lose a couple of verses here just for our space i know your deeds ephesians your hard work and your perseverance they found strength right i know that you cannot tolerate wicked people they went to war they went to battle with their armor on And that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. That's the spiritual battle. The people who are saying, really, I'm doing what God wants and weren't. He's like, you've figured it out. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name, for God's name, for Jesus. And have not grown weary ellipses because you know it's going to get worse. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have what fallen. Who was the adversary? The devil. Who was the devil? An angel who had fallen. Now John is speaking the words of Jesus right here. It's in red letters in your Bible. Okay, what is what is Jesus's message to the Ephesians? It's like you've become just like your adversary. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from your place. That's bad stuff. Like, biblical note, hang on to your lampstands, right? So this is what's interesting, too. That language is interesting. What does he tell them? You have forsaken your first love. So interesting that in the midst of this conversation on combat, really the synopsis of it is, is that, you fell out of love with the god who saved you. I guess it's tragic, right? That 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 is the things of the worst stories, the worst movies ever made, right? Is that love that just wear uh, just, that just evaporates and wastes away. Like nothing is sadder than that. And that's actually what the message of Jesus is for the church of Ephesus. So apparently within just a few years' times where Paul had complimented them and encouraged them to be strong, to put on armor, to pray and persevere, they fell away. I think it was prophetic that Paul ended his letter to the Ephesians with prayer. Because more so than anything, that act helps us to remember the relationship that keeps the fires of our love for the Lord stoked let's uh, it's what I started at the beginning, friends. The, the one thing I found out, because I work with churches, and over the past 11 years, I've worked a lot with people who have started new churches. It's something I tell everyone who comes to me saying, Steve, I want to start a church. How do you do it? I was like, it's easy. I tell them it's easy. But you know what? Maintaining it is way more difficult. And what Christmas exemplifies in that is that reality, right? Because at some point, for those of you who are parents or are getting used to it or have, have, you understand is that you give a kid something brand new and sparkling and they love it. And from December 25th to about January 1st, they still love it. And then starting in January, it ends up in the closet and it doesn't see the sunlight again until the next year when it's like, oh, yeah, what did you get for last Christmas? Because new is exciting. Continuing, not so much. What Paul's saying here is the same message that we all need to hear. And again, you know, we're all at varying levels of our spiritual journey. Actually, we don't even know, not to get totally depressing, you know, one of our spiritual journeys could end very soon. I don't mean to be morbid, but it's a reality about life, right? Life is fleeting. I did a funeral this last week for a guy who dropped dead at 50 years old unexpectedly. Like, we just never know, right? Life is fleeting, okay? So if we're looking at how we finish this and how we maintain and do this, I think what Paul is saying is like, friends, just pray. Just pray. Because in doing so, you're constantly reminded about you and God. And so even though it's not this exciting ending to the book, I mean, if he had just stopped with armor and battle, I think that would have been like, yeah, we would have been pumped up. But he ends more contemplatively and says, Pray think it's a good lesson for you and i and what god is doing for us so um so i don't know how to do this but you know the last time that we said let's just pray really quick rob was preaching and it was awesome but we had some visitors and they got the hell out of here once they said we're going to pray in groups so at least we're safe now unless some of you leave and then that's on them but i thought that's a good idea and since we don't have anybody we'll scare ray right now can you do me a favor in the next you know, let's just, just take a few minutes. Just get in little groups. Pick a couple of you. Let's pray. And that's how we're going to close out, right? So there's a group right here. Andrew and Molly are going to have to move somewhere over. You can go with my wife and daughter. We've got even a few right there. Eric can join the Bachmans and that group in the back. We can just, this moment where we stop and we pray, and hopefully this will spur us on. Hey, by the way, no rules. I'm not telling you what you need to pray about. Just friends, let's... Let's do this right. Let's pray. Let's pray.